hope is part of everyone's life. Uh, We hope for something. I think it's part of being human. Hope helps us define what we want in our future. Hope helps fuel how we live in the present. But did you know that hope can leak? It's true. Everyone goes through seasons of life of having high hopes, and everyone goes through seasons of life of feeling hopeless. Even as we consider events uh, going on in our world on a macro level, it's not hard to imagine why hope can leak. You consider just even the global pandemic over the last couple of years and everything that's gone on with that. Consider the war happening in Ukraine and Russia. Think about several mass shootings in this month alone. And that's just on the macro level. Think about all of the hardship that we go through in our personal lives, job loss, health crisis, relational strain, unfulfilled dreams, unrelenting pressure, anxiety, depression. The the list goes on and on, from personal losses to national tragedies to global disasters and everything in between. It's very challenging every day to live with hope. Even the good things in this world that many put their hope in are temporary, fragile, It can change in an instance that relationships do not always last forever. Our health is fragile. Our financial stability can fluctuate. Hopelessness is a dangerous place to be. Hopelessness replaces joy with despair. It replaces living with purpose and drive, and it can lead us into isolation. Now, it it might seem strange that I'm opening our Easter Sunday, the most exciting Sunday of the year, on a down note. But I want to be unbelievably clear this morning. Every single one of us needs hope. Every one of us. We need hope. And not just any kind of hope. We need a type of hope that's anchored in something that will not change and will not shift. We all need a living hope. We need an eternal hope, a hope that is permanent. And what I find so fascinating about the Easter story, what I find so interesting is the fact that hopelessness was the dominant reality some 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ, the, the promised king, the anticipated Messiah, died. Hopelessness is what people experienced Jesus' brief 30 years on the earth created an enormous amount of hope. Everyone who encountered him had this type of hope that he would be the king, that through his powerful teachings, his miracles, his love and compassion, everyone who encountered him put their hope in him that he might be the king. But then, to everyone's surprise, and really contrary to what everyone had hoped for, Jesus died, that all hope was lost. And that reality, that that state of, of hopelessness cannot be overstated this morning of what many of Jesus's followers, many of the people who encountered him experienced during those three days when Jesus was dead. And of course, the Easter story is one in which the most life changing event in the history of the world took place. That after he died, after he was buried, Jesus Christ was raised to life. 
that hope was born after three days in the grave, after three hopeless days. See, Easter Sunday speaks directly into our hopelessness. That if you're here today and you're trying to to put on a smile because it's Easter Sunday, and yet deep down, your hope is leaking, that you're you're struggling to, to find lasting hope, I want you to know that Easter is for you today, that you're in the right place hearing a message about a type of hope that is living, that is permanent, and that is eternal. And so today, we're going to be confronting our own helplessness by looking at 1 Peter 1, at four amazing truths concerning hope, and I'm so excited to share them with you today. Here's the, four, here's the first truth about Christian hope, starting in verse 3, is that Our hope is alive. Now, after a brief introduction in verses 1 and 2, Peter uh, opens this letter, and he's writing to these persecuted Christians, these Christians who are struggling to have hope, and these persecuted Christians who are scattered all throughout what would be modern-day Turkey. And after these introductory comments in verses 1 and 2, he begins in verse 3, after blessing God, Peter declares a life-changing reality. But before he does, he grounds it in something unbelievable. Look at verse 3. He says, according to God's great mercy. Now, that's an important phrase. Don't skip past this and move on to the exciting stuff. What Peter is saying here with that little phrase is that everything he's about to say, everything he's about to declare is because of God's mercy. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you've worked for it. It's because God is generous and God is merciful. Now, what out of God's mercy has he done? Well, he says God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Catch what Peter is saying there. He is saying, you don't receive this living hope, unless you've been born again. To say it differently, you do not have a living hope. You have a dead hope, a false hope, unless you've been born again. Now, Peter's using this concept, born again, not in physical terms, of course, but in spiritual terms. What he's saying here is not that you need to come out of your mother's womb a second time in order to have living hope. But what he is saying here is that you need a new birth spiritually. Now, notice here, this new spiritual birth is something that God does within you. That God is the one who performs this this miraculous regeneration of new spiritual life within us. Now, Paul, another author of of the New Testament, alludes to this new birth in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, but God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Okay, so this new birth is new life, spiritual life. Jesus even alludes to it, talks about it very specifically in John chapter 3, kind of the famous conversation with Nicodemus a famous passage where we have, you know, John 3:16, the most popular Bible verse uh, known to man. 
He calls Nicodemus a religious leader who knew the Old Testament. He calls him to be born again. See, this phrase is referring to salvation. And look, right off the bat here, we are confronted with the reality that there are only two kinds of people in the world. In fact, there are only two kinds of people in this room right now today. That either you have been born again, either you are alive spiritually, either you have this living hope, you are a Christian, or you're not. You're not alive spiritually. You do not have a living hope. You are not a Christian. And my question right off the bat here is, verse 3 confronts us. Which group do you fall into today? And you might be wondering, well, how do I know which group I fall into? Well, it's not based on if you're here on Easter Sunday. That's not the determining factor. The, The determining factor is not based on if you're a good person, if your good deeds have outweighed your bad. No, the determining factor is based on the condition of your heart And if Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning as your king, because if he's ruling and reigning, that's demonstrating the fact that you've placed your faith in Jesus and that you've turned from your sins. So my question for you today is, is Jesus your king or is he just your consultant? Is Jesus the Lord of your life where he's calling the shots? He's determining how you live your life Or is Jesus just an inspiration? My question for you today is, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you desire him above all things? Is he your greatest treasure? Because someone who's been born again, someone who has this living hope, Jesus is their everything. He's not just added unto their life among other things. He is the central focus of their entire life. And I wonder if, if some are here today and you would say, Pastor, I, I fall into that second category. My, my hope is not alive. I, I am not spiritually born again, and I know it. Maybe you're here because someone dragged you here. Maybe you're here because a family member, you know, bribed you with, you know, paying for your lunch today or, you know, just to kind of quiet your neighbor Look, if you're here today and you don't have that living hope, I'm so glad that you're here. And I just want to invite you to to listen and to experience the living hope, the permanent hope that you can have in and through Jesus Christ. Because Easter is Easter. Because Jesus did something that changed everything. In fact, that's what Peter says here in verse three. Notice the train of thought. He says, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Circle, underline that word through. This is telling us that we can be born again. We can have living hope through the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So look, because Jesus rose from the dead, because he defeated the grave, you can have living hope. Because Jesus rose from the dead, because he defeated our sin, you can be alive spiritually. Because he rose from the dead and he defeated our enemy, you can be saved. 
everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like that's why Easter is worth celebrating, not just one day a year, but every single day of our lives because Jesus is alive, because he's ruling and reigning, because right now he is seated at the right hand of the Father with all power, all authority. And there is a day coming when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the King of Kings. So we celebrate him. I know it's Easter Sunday. We celebrate him every day because he has the power to forgive us of our sins and give us new life in him. Now, since we're talking about hope today, I think we should answer the question, what is hope? Well, the Bible's idea of hope is very different than the world's idea of hope. And maybe even the way that some of us talk about hope. Sometimes we confuse Christian hope with optimism. We might say, well, do you think the Colts will win the Super Bowl this year? We say, I don't know. I hope so. But I don't know. We're unsure of that. Like we confuse hope with, with thinking about something optimistically. We, we might even think that it's a desire for something in the future, but we're really uncertain about it. Right? We say, I, I hope I win the lottery. What you're saying there is me winning the lottery is a very, very low chance, but I hope I get lucky. That's not Christian hope. Christian hope is the exact opposite of that. Christian hope is a confident expectation that something will come to pass. In fact, in the New Testament, you see this word hope all over the place. You can summarize it by saying that hope is having full assurance or strong confidence that God will do what he says he will do. And as a Christian, we anchor our lives in what God has said. That's what Christian hope is. But what's interesting about 1 Peter 1.3 is that Peter adds a word before hope. He calls it living hope. That's interesting. That means that it's possible to have dead hope. It's possible to have false hope. But the Christian hope is, is living. It's alive. Why? Because Jesus is alive, right? Our hope is alive because our King is alive. Our hope is unshakable because Jesus is unshakable. Our hope is eternal because Jesus is eternal. See, for, for Christians, our hope is actually a person. Like our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is not in, in having a certain kind of feeling about how our lives are going. Our hope is not in making sure our lives go a certain way. No, our hope is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And because he is alive, our hope is alive and will never perish. So without the resurrection, there is no new birth. No new birth, there is no lasting living hope. That's why the resurrection matters. All right, we're just getting started here. That's the first truth. Here's the second one. Our hope provides an eternal inheritance. This is unbelievable. Verses four and five, if you've been born again, if you have this living hope, Peter is saying that something is in store for you in the future, in eternity, in heaven, namely 
It's an inheritance. And so if your hope is grounded in Jesus, catch this, you will receive everything that is Jesus's. That's your inheritance. You are a co-heir with Christ. Romans 8 declares this wonderful truth. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him and in order that we may also be glorified with him. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are indescribably rich with spiritual blessing. And I love Peter, what he does here in trying to explain the inheritance. You can, you can see Peter struggle with the human language. Like he's trying to, to describe this here. And all that he can really do is come up with these three words that tell us what it's not. He says it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. These three words kind of help our minds grasp the magnitude, the grandness of our inheritance. And each word has a distinct meaning. Imperishable means not able to be destroyed. Undefiled, though, means not polluted. Unfading means not sub subject to decay. Can you start to picture what our future inheritance will be like in heaven? It will never be damaged, never contaminated, unstained. It will be a world without locks or alarms or need for police, no need for jail, no worry of theft, a world without fear where every person is honorable, no sin, none at all. It will be without blemish where our bodies will no longer decay, no more aging, no more sicknesses, no more viruses. <laughs> No more injuries and, and all that comes with aging. Our bodies in heaven will be incorruptible, forever restored, new and complete. Why? Because Jesus's will be, and we're co-heirs with Christ. This is our inheritance for those who have their hope in Jesus. I love how Revelation describes this. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who has seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. This is our inheritance. This is what our hope is pointing forward to. Doesn't that fill you with joy this morning? Man, this is, I think this is how hope works practically on the ground. I think what hope does is it takes everything that we go through in this life, all of the hardship, all of the suffering, all of the trials, everything that's happening in the world. And what hope does is it compares all of that with what is ours in the future in Christ. And what hope does is it trains our hearts to say, it's worth it. It's all worth it. Following Jesus in the midst of hardship, knowing what will be ours in our future inheritance is worth persevering because Jesus is our greatest treasure. Hope helps us, it convinces us to keep going.
And this leads to our third powerful truth about hope, is that hope fuels gritty perseverance. I love Peter. He is so realistic about the Christian life here. He does not say that, hey, just hope in Jesus and your life will be easy. Hope in Jesus and put your head in the sand. No, he doesn't say that. He actually says that you will experience various trials and hardship. Life is full of suffering. In fact, it, it almost feels as though that once you become a Christian, you experience more hardship, more suffering as you follow the Lord in this world. And so the question is, in those seasons of your life, what will buoy your faith in God? What will keep you from sinking? To illustrate this, Ian Lett, she's a, a Scottish preacher who talks about luxury ocean liners from the mid-1900s, talks about the Queen Mary, Queen Elizabeth. He says that when they built these ocean liners, they did not test them in dry dock. They didn't leave them in a dry dock and get big hoses on them to see if they would leak. But they got those huge ships out into the open ocean to put them through different sea trials. These trials, though, were not intended to sink the ship. These trials were to prove that the ship was seaworthy. See, in the same way, God sends trials our way, but not to sink us, just to prove that our faith is genuine. See, it begs the question, what keeps your faith afloat? What keeps you from sinking? Look, it can't be circumstances. You can't put your hope in, in the situations of life because why? They're, they're always changing. Like what will keep you sinking is, is not having your life go a certain way. There, there are too many variables that you cannot control. The only thing that will keep you afloat is having an unshakable hope in the one who can keep you from sinking. Like the way that you avoid sinking down and losing your faith is by holding on to the one who's actually holding on to you, holding on to the one who actually controls all of the storms of life. See, the reality of, of our living hope, Jesus, he doesn't keep us from trials. No, he sees us through the trials. He doesn't protect us from hardship. He grows us through hardship. That Jesus isn't this magical shield that keeps us from the storms of life. No, he's an unmoving anchor in the midst of the storms of life. And because of that, because he gives us hope in the hardest and the most hopeless situations, he enables a type of gritty perseverance until the very end, a type of steadfastness that according to verse seven will result in praise and glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what you go through in this life. So our hope is alive. Our hope produces an eternal inheritance. Our hope fuels perseverance. Here's the last one, though. The fourth one is that our hope creates inexpressible joy. Inexpressible joy. If you notice in verses 8 and 9, Peter says something unbelievable here. He says, look, even though you don't see God, 
you love him. It's an interesting phrase. Even though you don't see him, you believe in him. How? Because your hope is in him. And Peter says when your hope is in him, it's creating something in you. It's producing something in you. You're experiencing something that he calls inexpressible joy. And look, this is what I want to declare to you this morning. This is what God wants for you today is for you to experience a type of joy that's impossible to describe. Think about that. He doesn't want to fill you with a type of joy that's temporary. He doesn't want to fill you with a type of joy that's circumstantial or fleeting or minimal. No, the God of the universe who has an endless amount of power and grace wants to fill you with an overflowing, eternal, inexpressible joy. See, God doesn't exist to to make you miserable by forcing you to follow all kinds of rules. No, God wants to fill you with joy when you put your hope in him because he wants to fill you with himself. And I wonder this morning if, if some are settling for a type of temporary joy because you're placing your ultimate hope in something of this world and not in Jesus. And I wonder as a result of that, if, if your joy goes up and down because your hope is in something that is unstable, something in this world, something that also goes up and down. Like I wonder if you're settling for less when, when God is offering you more or God is offering you in his hand salvation, salvation in Jesus Christ, that when you put your hope in Jesus, he fills you with inexpressible joy, endless joy, everlasting, eternal joy. And so my question for you today is where is your hope today? Where are you putting your ultimate hope? Is it in Jesus or is it in something else? Are you putting your hope in, in success or in your career or, or in your family or in being a certain kind of person or, or having a certain amount of money? Look, if, if that's you this morning, if your hope is in something other than Jesus, it's a false hope. It's a dead hope. It will leak. It will run dry. Look, I say this as lovingly as possible, but with clarity this morning that because we are all sinners, because we have all fallen short of God's perfect standard, the situation that we find ourselves in is absolutely hopeless. That because of our sin, because we've all offended an eternal and holy God, the consequences of that is eternal separation from God in hell forever. And that may sound harsh, but that is actually a just and fair punishment from God Almighty. But it is utter hopeless. There's nothing that we can do to fix that type of situation, that type of condition. And that, my friends, that that is the bad news of Easter. That's the situation that we all find ourselves in, except Jesus did something. Jesus Oh, he did something. 
This is the good news of Easter. This is why we celebrate. This is what makes Easter so unbelievably amazing is because in Jesus, we can have living hope. That we can have living hope because Jesus got up on a cross 2,000 years ago and he died in our place. He paid our debt. He paid the penalty of our sin so that we can be saved from our sins. Yeah. And when you think about it, as Jesus was, was hanging there on the cross, yes, he was paying for our sins, but don't think about that just generally. Think about that specifically and personally. He was paying for your sins. Don't let that be abstract out here. Internalize that, personalize that reality that he was paying for all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your disobedience, all of your addictions, all of your shameful acts. Jesus died and took your place. And look, as he was hanging there, he declared the most powerful words on the cross, three words. He declared, it is finished. What is finished? The payment for our forgiveness. It's done, paid in full, it's over. He accomplished everything. And so look, forgiveness is truly available, like real forgiveness, forgiveness for all of your sins. Think about that, to be clean before God, to have all of your, your guilty deeds just done with because of Jesus, all of them, your big sins, your small sins, your hidden sins, your secret sins, your shameful sins, all of them forgiven because of Jesus. So you can stand before God and be righteous and be clean and be accepted. And here's the best part. Jesus has the power to forgive us because 2,000 years ago, he didn't stay dead. That yes, he died on the cross, but three days later, he rose from the dead declaring that nothing, nothing can stop King Jesus. That death could not hold him down that there's no power of sin that's mightier than Jesus. There's no plan of Satan that can thwart him. No, he is alive and he is victorious and he has the power to forgive any sinner of their sins. Look, there's no sin that's beyond God's ability to forgive. No sin. Not even that sin that you're thinking about wondering, even this, pastor? Yes. Even that sin, he can forgive you once and for all. The cross of Jesus was the payment. Then the resurrection of Jesus was the receipt, proving that the payment was fully accepted. Look, church, Easter shows us how much God loves us, doesn't it? Easter shows us that the creator of the universe loves us. He doesn't just put up with us. We don't annoy the creator. He loves us with a deep and eternal love. And he proved it despite our sin, despite our rebellion, despite our prideful self-sufficiency. He displayed his love by making a way when we were utterly hopeless in order for us to be rescued and saved in Jesus. 
And for those who believe in Jesus, for those who have turned from their sins and trust in Jesus, he wants to fill you with this type of forgiveness and hope that will last for all of eternity. It's been said this way, that the world offers promises full of emptiness, but Easter offers emptiness full of promise. The empty cross, empty grave clothes, the empty tomb, but full of promise. See, the empty tomb is proof that God speaks into our hopelessness. The empty tomb is evidence that God has gone at ultimate lengths to display his endless love for us. That the empty tomb is a declaration of living hope. And no matter where you find yourself today, he's calling you to respond to that. He's calling for you to respond to the greatest reality in the whole universe, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died a brutal death, rose again from the dead, conquered the grave, put an end to our sin, defeated our enemy once and for all so that we can have living, permanent, eternal hope for those who trust in Jesus. A hope that is permanent, a hope that does not leak, a hope that does not run dry because our hope is a person and his name is Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we pause in this moment and Lord, our hearts are just filled with joy. A joy that we can't quite explain. A type of experience that that words just fail because the infinite, perfect, eternal Son of God died for his enemies, died when we were hopeless, took our place on the cross, paid for our sin, made a way when there was absolutely no way, and rose from the dead and now offers us eternal life for us sinners. God, that is utterly amazing. I give you praise for Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who are here in this moment, Lord, who have not placed their faith in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would save them. I pray that right now in this moment that they would give their lives to you, that they would declare their ultimate hope is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. God, we give you praise for Jesus Christ, King Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.